0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It's my great pleasure to welcome Justin McDonald to the show. Welcome, Justin.
1: Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Justin is the CEO of RambleChat, and as the name implies, they are in the ABM chat space. So they bring chat to your website and beyond. I'm really fussy, as our listeners know, about who I allow on the show. In particular, like there are fewer CMOs and fewer CEOs, and the reason is, is that I have a requirement that those people carry a bag. So for Justin, he did carry a bag for at least a decade, not only as a salesperson, but also as a sales leader. So the topic for today is going to be all about risk mitigation in the sales process. As we get started, we'd love to learn things about our guests. Uh, Justin, what is your favorite sales book of all time, and what's one or two of the key takeaways from that?
1: I would say Outlier, too. So Outlier is more, in, you know Gladwell's book, more in a fascination with what creates successful people. I think you did such a brilliant job in doing the research and the factors that shape circumstances and results. And you know, just from a leadership perspective, but you know, how did the behemoths and the successful people in the industry get to where they're at? But I'd say as it relates to a sales book, you know, I'm old school, but Hope is Not a Strategy by Rick Page. And I think it's a foundational book for anyone in the sales profession, whether you're an SDR, you're an account executive, whether you have an inherently complex sales process, how he dives into identifying strategic pain, you know, navigating key decision makers in the buying process, you know, qualification strategy, right? It's better to lose in the first than the ninth, and really differentiation between yourselves and the competition.
0: My second get-to-know-you question, I haven't asked this in a while, but I used to ask it all the time, love to know, is what's
1: the first thing that you ever remember selling? I hope it's not too cliche, but lemonade, but a little bit different twist to it. My cost of goods sold is quite different because my mother was actually an executive for a fruit brokerage firm for Country Time Lemonade. So I had unlimited supplies of lemonade, great lemonade, great quality in my pantry. And set up shop, you know, having a successful lemonade stand so much that the local newspaper actually covered me. So it really stoked my entrepreneurial spirit as well as my sales DNA.
0: We have had a couple lemonade salespeople. This is definitely the first where it was like inside supplier involved in that process. That's pretty killer. Let's get into the topic of the day, which again is risk mitigation in the sales process our guests choose the topic and I always ask them for a top of mind
1: topic. Why for you is that important? I think it's something that as I look back into my sales career and even how we manage our sales team today, there's a couple factors that really come down to how do you grow the pipeline? How do you ensure success? How do you get deals closed? And I think risk mitigation has really encompassed all of those things, right? It's about information accuracy, relational risk, you know, timing of execution. It's something I'm passionate about just from a sales process. But I think also, you know, I spent... 10 plus years, you know, selling SaaS uh, risk and compliance enterprise software. So I think the space itself being risk management, and then also the element of getting deals done and managing a team, just led me to be passionate about it.
0: You just gave us a bit of a framework, I guess, we can use to talk through this, which is there's risk in the early stage when you're generating pipeline. There's risk in the middle when you're managing ops and progressing them. And then there's risk in the end, right at the end, right when you're trying to close them. I know every rep has had situations where, you know, the contract is sitting on the CEO's desk, you got verbal, you got everything, and then it potentially still gets delayed or blows up. So we'll get to that last. But let's start with the first part on pipeline growth. So where do you feel the key risks lie in early stage pipeline creation and ways you can mitigate that risk?
1: You know, there's risk throughout the entire sales process, right? I would probably bring it up into two different buckets of there's external customer facing risk, right? Which early stage, early top of the funnel pipeline risk is substantial. How you interpret data, who you're targeting, product fit, qualification, great discovery. They all go into that. That encompasses external customer facing risk. And I think one of the things that's really undervalued and really mislooked is internal risk, right? How are you managing the risk of your political capital, of access to resources, within your company, to how you're respected to get the things that you need to overcome some of those challenges that no doubt pop up. And, you know, again, either transactional or complex, you know, enterprise deals. So I think those two buckets are a really good focus for each one of those.
0: You started with political capital. You know, what can AEs do to kind of manage and leverage their political capital?
1: As you look at the potential risks that can happen, that feed into, hey, what is my internal risk or my political capital, or how can I get things done and how I perceive internally, you know, requirements fit, right? Not having the right feature that you need, that you may need to move the product roadmap and dev resources to accomplish based upon the overall return or size of deal, you know, lack of identified pain, perceived pain on the buyer side, you know, lack of resources and enablement, you know, some of these large enterprise deals require a village, right? Revenue is a team sport, so. Being able to have the political capital to pull in services, to be able to legitimize requirements, business cases, being able to have the right sales resources for multiple product lines and orchestrate those. And you know, they're being pulled in multiple directions. So being able to have the respect and the political capital to move the chess pieces internally. And then executive support. I can't tell you how many times on multi-million dollar deals it was getting the COO, getting the CEO involved based upon my track record or my team's track record to really bring them into the fold, bring them into the process to move the deal over the line.
0: If you think about your time at Compliance 360, you spent almost seven years there from a you know very junior role to leading teams. In the early days, right, when you were I'm reading your LinkedIn profile, so I got inside baseball on this, the 14th employee, I would assume you're able to influence product and product roadmap based on the needs of what the prospects are asking for. I would assume by year six and a half, seven, when your team comes to you and they say, this client has this product need, at that point, you're much less able to adapt the product in order to win that business. Talk me a little bit about how your thinking evolves and how you would coach reps in different phases of the company lifecycle.
1: Much of this goes back to company culture, resources, Do you have a sales-driven culture? Right. So I come from the background of, you know, compliance 360. And then we sold it off to SI Global in 2012 through acquisition. And to your point, the early days of getting influence and product roadmap and getting those key features that we need in trench warfare, you know, against the competition that we see all the time. It was much easier, right? And I do think that the ability to get resources and influence and adjustments is inversely related to how large we are, right? The larger you go, the commitments, the ability to move the ship is just a very different animal. It's much harder, but I think also you have a sales rep or someone that has a great track record that brings a massive piece of meat, right? Three, four, $5 million deal, you know, ACV with three or five-year commitment, you know, those types of deals will certainly move mountains internally as it relates to roadmap, as it relates to product development.
0: It's a good point that in some ways you always can have an impact on product. It's just that the threshold is really an economic one. How impactful, how meaningful is a given deal to the future of the business? I guess also weighing, is this something you're building for just one customer or is this something that you know you have a critical mass of interest in and is important to build for most customers?
1: That certainly plays into the evaluation. Is this a capability that's been asked for, you know, multiple times? as it play into our, you know, greater strategy and roadmap of what we present into the analyst? But one thing I would say, just to caution the folks listening and the reps, this is not a standard practice, right? This is an exception that you use in a rarity, you know, in extenuating circumstances that helps you get a deal over the line with, you know, high probability and confirmation from the prospect. You know, I coach my reps sell so what's on the bag and nothing more. That's one of the things that, as it relates to risk mitigation, it's. I have seen greater risk mitigation from an SDR to an AE saying no early than wanting to be able to say yes all the time. That the credibility that you earn from being able to say no, hey, we can't do it. Here's why we're different. Compliment the competition, right? Differentiate, put them in a box, and just be very respectful in how you position against key features that you may or may not have. And it's your job as a sales rep to re-engineer it, to move them over to what you do well. You know, to
0: the point of selling what's in the bag, another thing that you mentioned is that executive alignment piece and truly right getting your, you know, CEO or COO or whomever the appropriate counterpart is in the bag. As you've gone through your career, how have you found or some of the best ways for reps to get that executive alignment?
1: Much of its culture and how the organization is used to selling, how often that, you know, people are able to leverage those executives up top. I'm actually thinking back to a deal that we did many years ago. I think it was in 2008 where. It had been a long time since I really needed anything, right? So my political capital internally had been really built up. We had a prospect that was doing a proof of concept in the conference room at our offices, had a team of about six or seven people that flew up from Florida to meet with us. And they had this particular requirement that we'd heard a couple times it was needed and it was an absolute no go. They were in there in person. So I walked out of the room as my product team and services team were having the discussion when got the CEO laid it out to him. And he is just a fantastic CEO, great operator, sales DNA. He said, listen, let's do it. This is a huge chunk of meat. We've got some additional resources, some utilization, let's make it happen. So he walked in that room, got in front of the entire team, the prospect the deal that we were working was on the 95 yard line. And he says, I will commit to doing this. Let's get this deal done.
0: As you get pulled into deals at Ramble Chat, do you have any secret weapons your team likes to use you for?
1: At times they use me a little too much just based upon my background, but I don't mind doing it. It helps us get deals over the line. We get to a certain point. Certain parameters of where, where a deal is and the size, and we think we've got a good shot at winning it, you know, I always tell my team, you pull me in at any point in time. We hit these particular requirements, I'm at your disposal 24 hours a day.
0: Let's turn over to external risk then. I mean, you listed a number of different factors.
1: Where do you want to start? A lot of factors, right? Especially based upon the type of business and product you're selling. But from relational risk and, and how a sales rep presents himself, I think executing credibility and trust And all the different subsets that go under it are the best way to manage that external risk, right? And I mentioned one of them, being able to say no and have the credibility to tell them, hey, if this is not a good fit, because it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing for you and our company, right? It's go somewhere else, right? I'll even help you. It's kind of the go-giver mentality. I'm not sure if you've read that book. It's a great sales book. Be honest. Do what's best for the customer. Competition. So I think, you know, so many sales folks get themselves in hot water and add substantial risk on how they actually reference a competition, you know, you get to mention that trench warfare, you're going up against the same competitor all the time, you know, each of their dirty little secrets, but that doesn't mean that you need to approach it and you need to lay it all out, right? These buyers have more information today than they've ever had. They can easily Google stuff. They can understand different functionalities, different packaging, pricing. So I think, you know, one of the models that we had that we instituted at my old company was, you know, CBD, compliment, box, differentiate, compliment them, right? You know, speak highly of them. Don't throw them under the bus put them in a box based upon the functionality and how you want to structure the deal, your sales positioning, your messaging, and they differentiate, right? What makes you better? Why should they choose you? You've got some
0: big companies you're competing against at this point. How would you position yourself against one of your major competitors?
1: Yeah. So I would say some of our big competitors, great companies, great technologies, a little bit older than ours, right? So we have you know, newer technology. We have the ability to invoke chat beyond just the website. So we're more than just the, the conversational marketing chatbot, right? Chatbots included. But hey, how do you help your sales reps create more sales conversations, more revenue from your website and beyond? How do you meet buyers at the moment of interest? So we really try to sell not only its marketing, but you know, as a tool. And we have an arrow in our quiver that helps sales reps to invoke chat from email. So ultimately, great marketing, great technology, We out-service our customers, newer technology, newer stack, and just some capabilities that are not on the radar yet.
0: There's a book I have referenced a few times. I think it's called Sales Differentiation, which is apt title, and it talks about four levels of differentiation to the D part of the CBD framework. You You really want to build up to be a stage four differentiator, which is like take the first thing, which is product and features and functionality. That's like stage one. And the problem in not every market, but the problem in many markets is, the features and functionality are more or less at parity. I mean, maybe one month you have a whiz bang feature that the other guy doesn't have, or vice versa, the next month. But if you think about like the satisfying 99 percent of the needs of the customer, a lot of products these days are the same. And so buyers can't really differentiate their next level of service. So hey, we, you know, outserve you our customer success, whatever is better. But that's so experiential, and both companies say that, so it's hard to differentiate on. Level three is references, but like, you'll give two references that are glowing. Your competitor will give two references that are glowing. Again, it becomes really hard. People become smarter, I think, about reference checking, which is, yeah, I don't even know if I want you to give me references. I'm going to go find people.
1: Yeah, you got the G2 crowds of the world that really change the landscape of references this day and age.
0: G2, for sure, I think is outstanding. Although I, I do trust G2. There's a degree of pumping that goes on there. But if like everyone's pumping the same, then, you know, you're going to get the same result. But what I love to do, this is like one of my secret weapons, which is companies will often list who their customers are on their websites. And then I go and reach out to those customers via LinkedIn. And invariably, at least half those customers have churned. And those are the ones I want to talk to. I want to know what the great experiences were, but I want to also know what the bad experiences are.
1: Yeah, I've got a great strategy. I have one great point. That's I think references are a huge part of differentiation as you get further down the sales cycle. But one of the tactics I like to deploy with my reps, and this is really from a operational perspective to not only protect the amount of time invested in references, but also our customers' time, right? And one of the tactics we used to use and still use, hey, listen, we don't have paid references, right? Our customers do it because they love the product if you'd like to talk to a couple of references. You know, we need to reach out to them in writing proactively to notify them. So I think kind of putting those parameters in place lets them know, hey, we respect the customers. These guys aren't paid. They're doing it because they like us. And you, you don't have a million customer requests coming for unqualified deals left and right.
0: The other external risk I'd love to get your perspective on in the time we have left is the intersection of sort of your two buckets and my three buckets, which is on closing risk. So, you know, let's say that you you got this deal going, you seem to have kind of good traction and momentum and now you're moving into the final phases negotiation finalizing the t's and c's and so on like what are some of the strategies you have to mitigate risk during that closing stage
1: yeah that's a great question i'm thinking back and i'm not sure if it's a crucible or if it's a bell but it's early stage risk is more about functionality features right brand reputational risk and then you go further down the line the buyers care about price right it's more about the budget and pricing more than anything but i think Gosh, there's so many different things you can do to mitigate that. And I think situational awareness and emotional intelligence is critical, right? Being able to, one, have a great relationship with the right champion, the right sponsor internally. Being able to, if you get stuck on terms, you get stuck on requirements, you have a particular stakeholder that you're not close with. Being able to masterfully orchestrate those particular challenges and rebuttals that come up late stage is critical. And that takes from forming the right relationships in the right connections, you know, early, making sure you're high enough, making sure that you're not pigeonholed to a particular buyer. Gosh, the things that can happen late stage, I've, <laughs> I've seen them all good and bad.
0: Yeah. One of our sales leaders has this concept of building a wall around an account and it does hit at A lot of the things that you already spoke about, right? It's, do you have that executive sponsorship alignment, right? Have you had significant face time, right? Not just phone email time, whatever, like especially in larger enterprise deals right or have you gotten significant face time with them and you know on references we talked about like all those things are inside of that he's got about eight or ten factors that are inside that build a wall concept and we actually that has proven to be so effective we modified the deal review framework that we use to align to
1: that building a wall concept another thing that I think comes into play throughout the entire sales cycle as it relates to risk mitigation and It's uncomfortable to talk about. You may have heard this old term that, you know, buyers can be liars, right? Buyers are liars and they don't do it maliciously, right? But they don't want to disappoint. They've built a relationship with you. Many of them, you know, feel like they have the power to get things done. So I think there's this aspect of affirming information, trust, but verify, you know, making sure you have enough touch points in the account that you can verify information that you're proceeding with confidence and that you're, again, confirming what you're being told. We
0: talked earlier about cutting bait early in a sales cycle. Have you ever had an instance where you're in a deal and it's like you actually
1: cut bait later in a sales cycle? We actually just did this a couple weeks ago. We had you know, folks that came in, they were too small. They just wanted a chat bot. They didn't care about great routing. They didn't care about you know, the human element of sales and chat and ABM. And so my advice to our sales rep, hey, cut bait, walk away. It's great, great people. They may come back to us, but this is not worth this process, right, for this size of meat.
0: It's interesting that you did not mention contracting risk. Was that an error of omission or an error of commission? Did you mean to leave that out?
1: No, I didn't. I think there's only been one deal in the history of time, and I can't even tell you how many we've done in all the companies I've been with, that I've ever lost a deal because of contracting issues. And it was with a quasi-government organization that had to lean on their quasi-government body to get something done. Everything else, and maybe it's just great attorneys. I was mentored by a great COO who was the most brilliant contract negotiator I've ever worked with. And we always just got things done and we always protected the company in doing so
0: people want to learn more about Ramble Chat or get in touch with you, Justin, how should they do that?
1: I would say just go to ramblechat.com.
0: Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshorn. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our
1: awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.